1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll be reading verses 25 through 28. This is God's word. Listen to it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Father, please enlighten us by your word tonight. Help us to sit at your feet and learn of you. And in learning of you, help us, Lord God, to live as we have learned. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul now brings to a close this, his first letter to the church in Thessalonica. But let us not think of this conclusion, this apostolic final word, to have been written by Paul with little thought or care. Everything Paul writes in all of his letters, every part of every letter, every word, is inspired by the Holy Spirit and as such is deliberate and meaningful. After all, Paul himself understood that what he was saying in this letter, what he was writing in this letter, was to be received by the church in Thessalonica, not as the words of a man, but as they really are, the word of God. These words come to the church with the authority of God, and they are vital for the faith and hope and love of the church, and the power that produces that sanctification, that holiness of life, which with, the, with which they are clothed when the Lord comes again on the last day. It's for this reason, knowing this, the significance and importance of his letters, that Paul here, you'll notice, puts those who receive it under an oath to have it read to all the brethren. He uses a very forceful, a forceful expression here, the kind of language that one would expect to hear in a courtroom. Do you solemnly swear? Yes, I solemnly swear. That kind of language. And since Paul never identifies for us a specific person as the original recipient of the letter, the implication is that those who received this letter and initially read these words, are thereby placed under oath before the judge of the whole world to ensure that the whole congregation hears, hears it read. And now the reason for such a binding obligation, again, is tied to the authority with which Paul speaks, the authority of the word of God as it comes to them, but also to the necessity of that word for the churches being sanctified, being made holy through and through completely, so that she might be kept blameless. In the previous verses, Paul spoke of this, she might be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things we could take away right off the bat from this conclusion, is, is this. 
The scriptures are not a side dish in the meal of our Christian life, but the main course. Those who lack access to the scriptures lack the most vital and powerful means of grace. To neglect, then, the reading of the scriptures when you have them is to spiritually starve oneself and others. A church that has no access to the scriptures is truly a spiritually deprived church, lacking that life-giving, God-working word that prepares her to meet her Lord. Clearly implied here is the fact that And remember, let me just say this as an aside. Paul's writing here before the Gutenberg Press. He's writing here knowing that not everybody all the time will have access. So if you do, it's so precious. And it's so vital that if one person has it, it'd be read to everybody. That's what he's saying. Clearly implied here is the fact that this letter, as all scripture generally is not meant for some elite cadre or class of church leaders who alone have the right or the giftedness to read or know or understand the things of God. God gave his word to all of his people. And those in leadership that would prevent God's people from hearing his word themselves are unfit to be leaders are in fact no true shepherds of the sheep at all. They, you might say above all, are under oath to bring that word to God's people. They are not true shepherds who who stand back and God's people come to them and say, what has the Lord said? And they say, "Um, I know those things. You just trust me and do what I say. And there's a lot of that. That isn't faithful leadership. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. All the brothers. Paul places the church leaders under, he places all of them, all of us under oath, an oath before the Lord that they break these, who, especially those who are leaders in the church, when they fail to ensure that God's people have the word read to them. And it is no small to break one's oath under God especially when it involves causing such spiritual deprivation in and among the church, the brethren for whom Christ died. You're depriving them. You broke your oath and you're depriving the body of Christ whom God loves. That is not a good place to be in. To whom much is given, much is required. And if by Neglecting this, especially church leaders, cause if by neglecting the reading of the scriptures, if they cause one of Christ's little ones to stumble or starve for lack of true spiritual food, scripture says it would be better for them if they'd never been born. Perhaps this burden, then, this holy obligation that Paul himself acutely feels as an apostle, 
Perhaps this is what's behind Paul's request that the church pray for us there in verse 25. Brothers, pray for us. Paul is aware that his ministry, the apostolic ministry, the ministry of the word of God is supremely vital and important, not only for the salvation of the lost, those still outside, but for the sanctification of those who are being saved. He is aware that this ministry of the word is a ministry performed in the last days. The last moments, we might say, of human history in this fallen world. A ministry that God uses to prepare a people to meet him when he comes again. This is how God, in this last hour of human history, is preparing people to meet him. Brothers, pray for us, he says. Paul is aware that he performs this ministry before God, in the sight of God, and under, therefore, a profound obligation to do it faithfully and well. So vital and necessary is this ministry of the word that Paul himself labored night and day, depriving himself of things like sleep, in order to impart all that was needful to the church. We heard earlier in this letter, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in, their, in love because of their work. Because of their work. Brothers, he says, pray for us. That's another thing we can take away from this apostolic conclusion of this letter. Pray, especially for those who are under obligation to read the word, to give the word of God to God's people. Understand, too, that from this ministry of the word of Christ flows that fountain of grace and peace that Paul has been talking about in this letter, the grace of God which saves our souls, by which we've been called into fellowship with God, by which God purifies us and makes us ready to meet him. It comes, the word of God comes to us, not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit charging and enabling us to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. This ministry of the word, which we receive as a congregation, as the church of Christ, this ministry of the, the word of God proclaims to us that gospel of grace and peace, the grace of of sins forgiven, the grace of being called out of darkness into the light, the grace of being enabled to walk in the light of Christ, and the peace of reconciliation with God, the peace of reconciliation with one another, though we're from various backgrounds, and though we're male and female, slave and free, rich and poor, we've been made one in Christ. We have peace in Christ, with God and with one another. And that peace is not like the peace that the world gives. 
It, it didn't come about by some legislation or some revolution or some new idea. It came from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the peace, the shalom of the everlasting kingdom of God. Because the grace, when you hear that, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In the last verse. Because the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is ours, which we received by faith when we heard and when we hear the word of God and receive it. Because of that, we have been set apart as holy unto the Lord and are being made holy. Our walk, our lives, growing and maturing in faith and love and hope in the Lord. What does that look like? Paul's been laying that out in part in this letter as well. In terms of concrete daily practice, receiving the grace of God imparted to us by the word of God, it comes chiefly to expression in our love for one another. Our love and in our care for one another. And this we hear in verse 26, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. This is shorthand for what Paul has been exhorting and encouraging throughout this letter. The hostility that once separated us from God and one another has been removed in Christ. The wall of division has been broken down in Christ. Outward expression of love towards one another. This is how we show forth and enjoy the grace and peace of God as fellow members of the body of Christ. A kiss represents and expresses intimacy, love, friendship, closeness, trust, welcome. It's for this very reason that the kiss of Judas was so ugly, that kiss of betrayal. A kiss is meant to express peace between one another, the opposite of betrayal and mistrust and hatred. A holy kiss is shorthand for saying that we recognize and welcome and love one another as being part of a holy community. God's own holy community, the body of Christ, called together as one in Christ, set apart together in Christ. It underscores again this expression, greet each other with a, with a, with a holy kiss. It underscores that all former barriers, the things which we allowed before to divide us, again, things like gender or race or social status or political views or cultural or national differences, these things are no longer barriers at all. They are of this world, and therefore they're not lasting in any case. No longer things that cause division, for our true and new and everlasting unity and peace are not grounded in such things but in that which transcends them all, in Christ, in God himself through the gospel. 
Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss is a shorthand way of saying love one another. Be patient with one another. Encourage one another. Welcome one another. Admonish one another. Help one another. Count each other as more worthy than yourself. Even those that are causing problems sometimes, those that are being idle, those who are not minding their own business, those who are causing strife, kiss them. Think of these brief verses here at the close of Paul's letter as a shorthand way of bringing everything to mind that he has written in this letter. He's summarizing it all. Again, pray for us. We noted how important prayer is last time and last week for the Christian life and calling. It is central in a life lived in the light of the coming of Christ. It's one of the chief ways that we demonstrate and exercise our faith. If we believe that salvation is by the grace of God alone, then a Christian will be a person regularly on their knees in prayer. And I should say that's another chief way of loving one another, praying for one another. We pray when we pray, not only for ourselves and our needs and our desires, that we remain in Christ, that we have forgiveness of sins, that we press on uh, and become more and more in, in our lives like Christ and be found in Christ when God comes again. We also pray the same for others, that they with us will heed the word, believe the word, and be found with us, blameless, on the day when Christ returns. We pray in faith for each other and for the grace of God. We pray that God would build us all up together in love. We pray the prayer of hope that God would make us ready and help us remain sober and alert for his coming. It's a prayer that we offer in light of Christ's sure and imminent return. It's a prayer that is in, at the heart of the Christian's way of life in this world. Prayer is at the heart of the Christian's life in this world. Pray for us. Displaying Christ's love and his grace and peace to one another in concrete expressions of service and encouragement, yes, even literally kissing them when it's appropriate, a love that manifests and expresses our union with Christ, our communion with each other in the Spirit, and demonstrates that the things that divide us in this world no longer divide us together. We are one in Christ and heirs together of his kingdom, and we pray for one another. These are the things that Paul calls us to do at the close of this letter. Again, in a letter where he was strongly reminding us that Christ is coming. This is how he wants us to behave. This is how he wants us to live. Christ is coming. Do this. The faithful and regular reading and preaching of the word of God, which is a true labor of love in Christ, is that which we should never despise or neglect or take for granted. We need it 
and all the more as the days for his coming draw near. The reading and preaching of the word is a means of grace. That means of grace from our own Lord Jesus Christ, by which God calls us and prepares us to meet with him. And by means of that word, read and preached, Christ himself is working in us faith and love and hope and that holiness without which no one can stand before the Lord. That, that word, the word of God, read and preached is the means by which God enables us to love one another more and more and welcome each other and be patient with each other and pray for one another. Paul might conclude his letter here with some quick, brief expressions. And sometimes when we read the end of a letter, we just kind of blow right through it. But we should understand these short expressions, these brief expressions as shorthand expressions, summaries that contain the sum and substance of everything that he said in this letter. In other words, in many ways, it all boils down to this. Let us receive the word. Let us receive this letter, which has now been read to us all. And let us take it to heart. Let us pray for one another. Let us love one another. Let us walk in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and be ready to meet him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, help us take to heart the word, your word. Let us receive it as it is, the word of God. Let us not overly complicate the Christian life, but hear what you have spoken to those who are living in these last days, those who are awaiting the coming of Jesus Christ. That's central to this time of waiting. We should be fellowshipping together around the word and in prayer. And know in that way the grace and peace of our God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.